Welcome to Rock Facts, an over-the-garden-wall rewatch podcast here on the Incomparable Network. My name is Brian Hamilton, and I'm joined by Allison Truge, who is currently frantically searching for rock facts about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What have you found for us, Truge? Um, an interesting fact about Dwayne The Rock Johnson mm-hmm. is that he accidentally smashed the taillight of a Porsche while filming the movie Walking Tall in 2004. I never saw that movie, and I don't know what it's about. Uh, he's apparently walking. He's apparently very tall. How tall is Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Is that on the... Or, or, no, wait, we should save that for another episode of Rock Facts. Uh, I have so many Rock Facts to go around that I feel very confident in telling you that he is six feet five and a quarter inches tall. And a quarter? Oh, it's the extra quarter that really puts him over the top. Oh, wow. (laughs) We're talking about over the garden wall, in case you have not noticed, and... Episode 6, Lullaby in Frogland, is my favorite episode of the show by far. It's everything to me. I think it is the most aesthetic of the show. Uh, You and I have really fallen for this beautiful steamboat with a bunch of frogs in very traditional clothing. And it's so cute. And all these little details that uh, that bring this boat to life just make my heart sing. There's something so romantic about this episode. Um, They're like the only people on this boat that are not frogs. And the whole idea about anthropomorphic... Oh my god, I can't say that word. Anthropomorphic frogs. (laughs) Good, you did it. People frogs. (laughs) The whole idea of people frogs is endlessly charming to me and I love it and I will never hate it and I will defend this episode until death. All of the cute little ways that they... You know, the the frogs blowing bubbles from their pipes. And for some reason, two little kids riding cockroaches, which is never addressed again. <laughs> it's just really, really sweet. There's a part in the episode where um, a mom frog is holding a bunch of tadpoles. Yeah, They're what in the babies. world? So Because that's what baby frogs are. <laughs> baby frogs are the little tadpoles, even right. though it's it's kind of morbid how they drop all of them and then several people slip and fall on the tadpoles. They're okay. They're okay. I, I really want to believe that they're okay. This is the episode where Beatrice becomes uh, uncharacteristically wistful, according to Worth. I feel like... So here's what I was thinking the, the first time that I saw this episode recently, is that this episode is really where they join as a team. Because uh, in the first, you know, couple episodes, they are kind of joined together by a shared circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Beatrice is, of course, trying to lead them to their doom. Um, but after the episode in Quincy Endicott's mansion, I really feel like after Beatrice really gets to know Wirt and he, like, solves this mystery in this really clever way, I think it really endears her to them. And it makes her really think, like, I don't know if I can do this. The last line of episode five was something along the lines of, you did good in there. Uh, there's more to you than you think, which really does set up this episode perfectly because this is the episode where Beatrice gets sad about it. And when I saw this for the first time, I thought, oh, she's just going to miss them. That's why she's sad. I, I thought that she had a crush on Word, mm-hmm. which this series does weirdly kind of imply that like, Beatrice and Wirt kind of have a little bit of a romantic vibe to their friendship. Oh, 100%. And I kind of ship it in a way because their relationship is really good together, uh, especially in this moment where there's the chance of losing Wirt that makes Beatrice so sad. 
Even though she is a bird, well, <laughs> she was think, once a human. I think it's also this idea that, like, Word is clearly very in love with a person named Sarah who we've never met and we have no idea what she's about. And so it sets up this structure that, like, of course you'd ship Word with Beatrice if you were going to do that at all. Because, like, the whole idea of him being with this, like, nameless person, it, it isn't earned yet. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I also want to point out one of my favorite little details in the series because it combines character growth with music. We get a full version of the Adelaide song. And all of them are singing it, and there's a full ending. There's a full ending. Uh, Greg has had time to think about it and write it and continue uh, workshopping the song to himself. And I think it's so great that we see Greg so happy about this song. And there's a moment, this happens immediately after the, oh, what's wrong, Beatrice? Are you okay? Moment. And there's a little moment where Wirt realizes he can use this song to cheer up Beatrice. And at first he does his kind of meh face where his uh, mouth goes completely straight across and his eyes are like furrowed a little bit. But then he looks down, sees Beatrice, and he starts singing along with Greg and picks up Beatrice and they're all singing together. It's so charming. Um, There's also something I don't think about too much because we, looking back, know that this is episode 6 of 10, so this isn't the end of the journey. But Greg mentions, or I'm sorry, Wirt mentions, oh, what a lovely way to spend our last day together, isn't it, Beatrice? And no, it's not their last day. There's a lot more left to the series. Well, and I, I think that's part of the thing that makes this episode so sweet is like thinking like, oh man, they're going to like make it home. It's like this really charming little frog boat that's going to get them home. Exactly. In their journey of a whole bunch of different things that they encounter, this is such a singular sweet step that again, is never really mentioned again. I'm really sad that there's no more frog boat, but then again, it would make this episode less special to think that there's more of it. Uh, the next thing that happens to establish the main conflict in the episode is that <laughs> George Washington is naked with a beautiful, cute little ba-ba well, sting. And, the, and then the real conflict is that they didn't pay to get on the boat and the frog police are after them. Okay, that is the real conflict. But I, I <laughs> Greg's reaction to the president is nude is <laughs> so cute. Look at these cold feats. Uh, Greg, they're supposed to be cold. He's a frog. <laughs> But he's our frog. I love it so wonderfully. There's also the weird moment of, we don't really know its gender. (gasps) You're a manly frog. That moment is always a little squidgy to me. Yeah, it seems kind of out of place with the rest of the stuff that's there. And you need socks, which is a nice call. Like, there's a moment later where, as uh, Wirt and Greg are running away, he looks back to check on George Washington the frog and sees that somebody is giving him socks. And he's like... George Washington's going to be okay. <laughs> the but frog- then we have to disguise ourselves as a very tall frog band member who's so- going to play the drum. <laughs> drum me. Drum me in the face. Uh, the next thing that happens is that the frog police show up. And again, you're right. Uh, Greg, this is a nice little analog for you and me. Greg thinks that the problem is that the president is nude. But the actual problem is that they didn't pay to get on the ferry. <laughs> and... The musical choice here has always confused me because we have this cute cartoon anthropomorphized people frog boat while we're treated to a really silly chase, but the music is so morose. It's what, slow. What do you mean? Um, 
it's slow. All the other sounds are uh, toned down a bit, like because one of the frogs is blowing a whistle a lot, and it's very silent for you a mean literal the, whistle. The chase scene? Yeah, the chase scene. Oh, I think the chase scene music is perfect because it's got this humming in the background that's like, hmm, and there's like a steady beat that goes along with it because there's kind of like a, it's either snaps or there's like a little bit of percussion um, because it really keeps the beat moving. It's just that the they're like whole notes instead of being like shorter notes. Um, I think that there's a lot of intention behind it and it feels very like period. It feels very like it could be 1920s. It does. And the music works, but I'm surprised that for something as high stakes as a chase scene around a boat. Well, but I don't think it's actually high stakes. I think it's also kind of played for laughs and it's also kind of silly. That's true. That's true. There's uh, back in episode three, the uh, schoolhouse episode, there's a moment where uh, the gorilla's running around. And of course, it makes no sense that that's actually how they would try to get away from the gorilla by running around a tree in circles constantly. It's a cartoon chase scene. It's a cartoon chase scene. And there's another moment in this one where they're running across and then somehow Wirt, Greg, and Beatrice are on the uh, propeller wheel coming back the other way. And it's really funny. I also love that they salute the captain. (laughs) It's so cute. It's this bygone tradition of like, oh, yes, you're the captain, I'm going to salute you. And the fact, again, that they take that time during a chase is played for laughs. But then uh, they are, they, they disguise all of them as a very tall band member with the frog at the very top and uh, Wirt uh, underneath him with Beatrice on his shoulder and Greg as a drum. It's all very cute. And then they start, like, doing these kind of, like... um I don't want to say standard, almost like John Philip Sousa kind of, uh, like big band music. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bassoon player and they throw him off a boat. <laughs> it's, and then the frogs get so upset. And I think that this is an excellent, like, I don't even want to call it like a secret thing. Cause they don't think it's like a, a Easter egg or whatever. I just think it's so interesting that like, I feel like bassoons have a quality that is a lot like frogs, like frog croaks. And usually like in children's songs, when like you're having those, um, those songs that teach you about different instruments in the band, um, like the, the really old timey ones, um, like Peter and the Wolf is a really good example of this. Um, in Peter and the Wolf, uh, the bassoon is supposed to be like father, but in, A lot of those sorts of things, Um, the bassoon is supposed to be an animal like a frog or a duck or like something like that. And so it just makes me so happy when he's like, wow, those frogs really love the bassoon. (laughs) I was just about to bring up Peter and the Wolf, too, because it does something very similar in giving each element of the show an instrument. Right. And in this case, it's the bassoon. Uh, I also love that the catalyst for that is where it's saying, "Okay, we can't bring too much attention to ourselves. And as soon as he does that, he knocks the bassoon player off of the boat, slipping on the tadpoles, and there's the amazing, amazing gif. Like, people have turned this into a gif of um, all the frogs freaking out with their tongues flailing. <laughs> and it's so cute. And I think the the part of the episode that really made me, like, this is personalized to Allison Trudge, <laughs> um, is when... The, the You know, they're really upset at the, about the bassoon, and then Beatrice is like, well, maybe you should, or Greg goes, maybe you should play the bassoon work, and then Wirt goes, that'll get us kicked off this bow for sure. And then Beatrice is like, no, you need to play the bassoon, because she wants them to get kicked off the bow. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to take them to Adelaide. And so, 
she encourages him, which he thinks is like a very sweet gesture of her. And he, in in that moment, the the line that always sticks out to me is, "Well, I don't have the correct embouchure to play the bassoon because the clarinet is so different from that." And he could not be more correct because, as a person who <laughs> I was clarinet section leader and bassoon section leader <laughs> when. I was in my senior year of high school. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> um, and I transitioned into the bassoon from learning the clarinet. Like, I've been playing the clarinet since I was in fourth grade. I mean, playing. I don't play anymore. Um, sadly. But basically, I, I had already, like, gotten to a certain level with clarinet. And my mom had played the bassoon, so I really wanted to learn. Um, Amateur is the way that you... Uh, shape your mouth around the instrument for the most part. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. Um, But for clarinet, you kind of like wrap your lips around it. Whereas when you're, uh, I, we should probably put links to like what a bassoon reed looks like in the comment, in the, in the description. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a bassoon reed, it's a double reeded instrument. So it has two pieces of like bamboo that are like wrapped together if you're like a real bassoon player, you wrap your own reeds um, and you have to wrap your mouth around it, uh, bringing your lips inward, like wrapping your lips around your teeth. And so it takes a lot of muscles to do that. Um, so, yeah. So the embouchure is very different between the two instruments. It's like it, it couldn't be any more different. Is it? Uh... And he starts to say, I'm so impressed by this. And you know that the, like someone on the writing staff of this like show was also like like knew a lot about instruments because he says there's some similarities in the lower ranges because there absolutely are and in the lower <laughs> ranges of the bassoon some of the fingerings are very similar to lower clarinet ranges so that is the crux of wirt being nervous about the, the uh, about playing the bassoon and at the end he does a really good job because the song is beautiful and he says to beatrice although it is the most unrealistic part of the episode that, <laughs> that he would be able to play the bassoon Yes. Based on only playing the clarinet. Yeah, there's absolutely no way he would oh, be able wow. to play the bassoon. So he was, uh, he did a good enough job and says to Beatrice, thanks for supporting my bassooning, which is something that you and I say to each other all the time. It is. <laughs> thanks for supporting my podcasting. But we need to talk about this song, which is the single most beautiful moment of the show for me. So I want to start this section off with a correction. In the second episode of this show, we were talking about um, who sang the song in... Chris Isaac. So we were talking about Chris Isaac, and I said that Chris Isaac was a musical, like, inspiration to the show, and that is not correct. Um, I was thinking of the person who sings this song, and that man is Jack Jones, who was a really, really big influence on Patrick McHale. Um, I actually have a quote pulled up that he had said. He had said, Jack Jones's album, Lollipops and Roses, uh, played a big part in the construction of my artistic identity. Um, something about the dreamy, nostalgic sound of the orchestration, the music and the course of, and of course the voice really stuck with me. It was pretty incredible to get the actual Jack Jones himself to do a voice on the series. And that was what I had been referring to with Chris Isaac. That, like, they had written the song basically for a Jack Jones type and then were, like, able to get him, which is absolutely incredible. And so I I think that really shines through and makes this song, even though I don't think it's the most, um, 
it's definitely not the song that appears the most, even in like different like little tiddly iterations as like uh, coming and going music or motif. Yeah, it, the motif isn't used very much. Um, at least not as much as like the theme for Into the Unknown. Um, I think this song is a real cornerstone for this series. I agree. Uh, this is the moment where as soon as George Washington opens his mouth, we realize that this is the frog that is singing the opening number as well. And that's he's the one playing the piano. He's the one playing the piano, singing the song and being, you know, this companion for them on the series in a way that's more than just a silly frog with some silly names. Uh, he doesn't really have much function in propelling the plot as much as he does just giving amazing, amazing, uh, uh, tone setting and world building and things like that. And it's so perfect. Well, but I also feel like George Washington is a really big, uh, He's a really big influence on Wirt and Greg's relationship mm-hmm. because as we learn later in episode 10, um, like Greg really wanted to go on a frog hunt with Wirt and Wirt was kind of like, no, you're an embarrassing little brother that like, you're like my stepbrother. Um, but as they go through the unknown, you know, Wirt of course becomes very endeared to George Washington. I think that that becomes kind of like a, a manifestation of their relationship. Yeah, it really, really is. Uh, the song goes on, and this is the moment where uh, accidentally the coat that they're wearing comes off. Yes, and then the police go like, like they they like do their whistles, and then all the frogs go shh <laughs> because the song is so beautiful, and they value their music so much that they're just gonna roll with it, and it doesn't matter that they didn't pay and their then, two cents. And then word arpeggios into the song again, which again. Would never happen. Do, 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 do. Uh, the song goes on, and in the last verse or so, there's there's bits of the song that they recorded. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the full version of the song that just aren't in the show. And it's a beautiful song because, uh, you know, in, in the recording, there's more of it. But in the show, they stop the song once to uh, to have the coat come off. And then they stop it again to have the thanks for supporting my bassooning moment. But the last verse of the song where George Washington sings over the lilies, I'm not even going to try to say the lyrics because I don't have them all down pat, but he sings uh, the last verse of the song and sings about being over the garden wall, going over the garden wall to thee. And in that moment, five or six different things are happening. They say the title of the show, which is like the most objectively important. We see Greg freak out about George Washington being able to sing. And we see this at the very beginning, too. He goes, wow. But at the end, the look on Greg's face is so pure and sweet. He's taken the drum off, and he's looking with starry eyes at his beloved, beloved frog that is singing this absolutely gorgeous song. So there's Greg. We also see... Uh, Wirt and Beatrice share a moment where after the thanks for supporting my bassooning conversation, they look at each other with a look of, ah, see, look how I'm doing from Wirt. And Beatrice is still sad. She's still heartbroken that everything has gone perfectly according to plan and that she has to bring them to Adelaide. There is a really weird split shot that I still can't put my finger on why it's in there. There's two circles, and one is the police officers, and one is Wirt and uh, and George Washington singing the song. 
on different sides of the screen, and I don't understand why it's there. Do you do you have any ideas about like why they would split the screen like that and have circles like that? Oh, it's because they want to show that like they've won over the frog police. But like stylistically, is there? Do you think any historical significance to two circles together like no. that? No. I'll do some research on this for next episode because in uh, episode eight, there's something similar where people are filming the Cloud City reception uh, celebration and it's a circle. So I'm wondering if there's any significance there, but I'll uh, I'll definitely do some research. It might also kind of be like, you know, like binoculars. That's true. Like binoculars that are able to show us this really cool macro and view. It, and it might even be as simple as like if they did a split screen that really wouldn't look right. Exactly, exactly. So having the two circles, like, makes more sense aesthetically. And then at this point, there is a sunset and two frogs kissing. And the song comes to an end. And Greg says, I knew you were special. And there's something about the way he reads that line that brings me to tears whenever I watch this episode. He really does. Every every time. It's... Oh my god, even now, we just watched this again a few minutes ago, and I'm thinking about it now, and oh my god, I knew you were special is something that means a lot to me. He loves this frog, and showing that his love was well-founded and justified makes his spirit soar, and therefore makes my spirit soar. And then the boat docks. And the boat docks, and everyone's all sleepy sleep, and they all dive into the mud because they're hibernating. This is something that Patrick McHale, McHale talked about in his talk, um, that the series kind of, uh, its arc goes from fall to winter. And so having the frogs hibernate is really important because now we're suddenly switching into winter. We're switching into winter. The rest of the uh, episode, uh, cold night air is important. And then it starts snowing in a few episodes. So yeah, this is the nice turning moment from spring to winter or i'm sorry from fall to winter which is uh, very very important we have a little campfire conversation between beatrice and wirtz about all of the people at home and we see in the background that george washington is signing a record contract <laughs> a very big and blatant record contract <laughs> i love that so so much at, at this point it would be what a, a wax cylinder contract maybe i don't know <laughs> who knows what the technology would have been uh i love the references uh so i, I wanted to go talk to sarah but then jason funderberger showed up and uh and sw- uh, stole her away oh jason funderberger and when we see him later in the series we get this context of oh wait this is jason funderberger the guy who's worth oh jason funderberger we're meant to think that he's very cool and he's very not cool he's very very not cool there's the moment where Beatrice says, oh, wow, you're kind of a hero here as a way to try to keep him uh, in the unknown where he can be a hero. Because back home he was a loser and why would he want to go back? Yeah, she wants to get them to not go to Adelaide. But turns out, guess where she goes come nightfall? And they follow her. They go to Adelaide. They go to Adelaide. They they have a very sad Adelaide parade moment. The music when we get to Adelaide's house is so haunting to me. It reminds me a lot of the anti-whispers music. What I love about that music is that it's very clearly like harp string music, uh, which is really funny because the whole Adelaide's whole shtick is like the yarn and like strings. 
yeah, she she winds up encasing them in uh, in a string cocoon later. There's strings everywhere in her uh, in her cottage, and the first thing we see her doing is playing with strings. Something that I thought was really interesting in Patrick McHale's Q and A was he had said that the character design for Adelaide was like totally a pain because he I think originally had made her look a lot more like Auntie Whispers, but then making her look like that totally made the anti-whispers reveal in episode seven a lot less impactful Mm -hmm. and so they ended up going with a character design that was maybe a little bit more muted and i did think for a little while like i was really confused as to why they chose to make her look the way that they made her look because she is kind of unassuming when you look at her although when she climbs down from her bed on the back of her shawl is um the marking of a black widow spider on the back of her shawl which is such a really cool uh, little detail to show. Yeah, she's a terrible person. Well, and especially because, like, she has, like, she does the strings, so it's like a spider web. Yeah, she moves very bizarrely, and her character design is very subdued and not very scary, even though her actions are really scary. And But even to me, it still kind of makes sense that they are sisters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the... First thing she says is, oh, close that flu. The night air will be the death of me. And guess what? It is. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny because that's like an old wives tale is that the the night air is bad for you. It's like the idea that in It's a Wonderful Life when Zuzu goes out without a coat and she just catches a cold. That's not how colds work. You don't no. get a cold from being cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they come together. Beatrice says, Adelaide, we need to talk. These boys cannot. You can't take these boys. Uh, And it's the first time we realize, oh, wait, she was going to betray them. That's excellent. And when this reveal came the first time, I really didn't see it coming. Me neither. Uh, There's also a really funny moment where she says, wait, I thought you just wanted them for some yard work. No, I want manservants. I want them to be mine. And I'm going to turn them into sheep. And it's very uh, Brothers Grimm. There's something about that that I don't really buy. And I guess I think this is a writing tick that like, it's not like, oh, it's convenient. So I'm not supposed to notice. Um, It's that I feel like Beatrice wouldn't feel so guilty about bringing them there if she had really just thought that they were going to do yard work. That makes sense. I don't know. I feel like even if they weren't going to be, you know, turned into sheep at that point, the fact that she was promising to bring them home and then wasn't going to True, yeah. is still worth it enough to be, you know, that heartbreaking. What else? Uh Adelaide they they're in the middle of working out a deal, surprisingly, where she says, "Okay, you give me the scissors, I'll be your servant, I'll do the things, and you won't take them and turn them into sheep." Uh, which is, I never really thought about before. If Wirt and Greg hadn't burst through the door in that moment, I wonder what would have happened. He, She probably just would have taken Beatrice. True, but I wonder, you know, she would have just disappeared and there wouldn't have been this animosity between them in the rest of the episode. And that would mean Beatrice having to give up on... Uh, rescuing her family if she became Adelaide's servant. But I also think it speaks to the fact that Beatrice knows that, like, saving her family is not the most important thing if it comes at the expense of her friends. Exactly, which is a really nice character moment for her. That's the subtext of this whole back half of the episode, is Beatrice growing in a way that makes her regret everything she's done till that point uh, in two different layers. One for, you know, throwing the rock of the bluebird, and another for luring Wart and Greg into this situation. We also get uh, 
this cool kind of <laughs> Indiana Jones trap of pulling on a string and then cocooning both Wart and Greg. And I I love I love that. It's this weird, sinister, again, Brothers Grimm. It reminds me a lot of Hansel and Gretel. Uh, but then, of course, um, Beatrice opens up the door and turns the night air against Adelaide. And she turns into a Wicked Witch of the West a melting pile of witch. <laughs> night air does that to me, too. <laughs> and it's one of my least favorite things about the 10-minute episode format is that it's very hard to get anything like resolutions need to come and go very quickly things need to happen fast and i'm kind of sad we didn't spend more time with adelaide and i'm glad that the reveal and the focus on that was as uh was timed as it was but i wish there was more about defeating adelaide and getting away because that happens in maybe 40 seconds uh i always forget that this is the episode where the Adelaide reveal happens, because I'm always so preoccupied with the frog boat that I forget that this is where the Adelaide betrayal is. Yeah, no, I always forget that this happens at the end of this episode and not at the beginning of the next episode. It's so important that you would think there would be more time devoted to it. I think that's all I've got for this one. Yeah, me too. I, I was about, I was, <laughs> I was looking at my notes to see what I had written down for the rest uh, of the episode, and the last notes I have are when the frog boat song happens the over the garden wall song and at that point truge can confirm i just kind of stopped writing notes and then jumped into bed to hold you and watch the episode with you without taking notes and neither confirm nor deny that we like each other (laughs) and yeah that's that's all i have for the rest of uh, this episode because it's so important but still again like every other episode except for school town follies the episode ends with them going forward and pushing through what's happening to go on to the next episode and the next misadventure. So we'll be back next time with uh, another episode of Over the Garden Wall. We've only got four left? Seven, eight, nine? Yeah, only four left. Oh, man! I can't believe it. This is going by really fast. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. <laughs>